ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. In the last decade or so, the body positivity movement has been slowly deprogramming our pop culture brains from believing that thinner is innately better. Finally, we're seeing diverse bodies on runways, on television, on magazine covers, even in the supermarket. But is the rapid rise of weight loss drugs like you've probably heard of Ozempic about to change all that? I'm Tegan Taylor and this is Quick Smart, a show that feeds you big ideas in bite-sized pieces. This is not the first time drugs have promised to make us all thin. In fact, diet pills have a pretty long and bleak history involving experiments on kids, heart problems, even deaths. So are we doomed to repeat the mistakes of the past or will this new class of drugs actually be the answer? One person who has been reading the fine print very carefully is Jennifer Lee. Hello, Jen. Hello, Tegan. I feel like everyone's heard of Ozempic now. It's only one of like a bunch of different weight loss drugs that are really gaining a lot of popularity. How did you come across it? Yeah, I mean, like everyone, I sort of have heard Ozempic and have heard stories of it being used uh, in Hollywood. So it was a class of drugs that was uh, initially developed to treat type 2 diabetes And essentially what they've discovered over time is that it also is really good for weight loss. I am making a program for Rear Vision, which looks at the history of issues that are in the news. And I have always been really interested in drug therapies that at a certain point we think are a miracle and then end up being really dangerous. And you see so many examples of that in weight loss. And I just wanted to compare the history of diet drugs You know, even though each new development is a brand new breakthrough that everyone gets excited about, but time after time, they follow the same path and end up not being as exciting or beneficial as we first thought. Well, let's talk about the history because it is pretty fascinating. It's nasty. It's it's nasty. Yeah. When did we start seeing fatness as a medical problem to solve? Yeah, I mean, this is one of the things that really uh, surprised me. You think of obesity as a modern public health problem. But really, early 20th century, they started to see it as an issue that could be medically solved, potentially. And interestingly, children were were one of the first focuses, which is is quite strange. There was a, a new era of medicine which was getting everyone very excited, endocrinology, essentially the study of glands and hormones in the body. And there was this idea that you could become overweight due to sluggish metabolism or distorted glands. The reason they focused on children was because they had this idea that, you know, children are pure. They haven't developed hang-ups around food. Mm. So they thought maybe children are a specific example of where this gland disorder is why they're fat. And this is where things get really gnarly. They essentially start treating children with animal gland extracts, thyroid glands, pituitary glands, ovarian glands, like all sorts of stuff. And abattoirs were pairing up with drug companies because it was, you know, potentially very lucrative. Yeah, really really gross stuff. That is nightmarish. Yeah. So, okay, not sterile needles, powders. We've obviously moved on from that. Like we have made progress. Yes. Uh, Then there was sort of the era of diet pills. Yeah. Like that's the sort of real kind of madman 
1950s, 60s housewife sort of trope. Yeah, I mean, so amphetamines sort of starts getting around in the 1930s. In terms of treatment for diet medication, uh, the peak of that was 1950s into 1960s. There's a lot to discuss here, but the particular element I look at in the Rear Vision program is this trend of of so-called rainbow pills. And essentially, we know that amphetamines can have some really unpleasant side effects, um, heart racing, jitteriness. They can be difficult for some people to tolerate. So what they started to do was develop a, like a series of pills that a woman would take to offset some of the nasty effects of the amphetamines, but essentially four or five pills that were sold as a, like a personalised weight treatment for these women. And special weight loss clinics were set up where you could go in and access these pills really easily. And they were sold as a personalised plan for this person, but so often the woman wasn't overweight. So often they weren't told what was actually in these pills. And yeah, I tell the story of a woman, she was a reporter for Life magazine, and she went undercover to visit uh, a whole lot of these weight loss clinics. And, you know, she was uh, young, average size, certainly not someone who would ever be diagnosed as obese. And she visited 10 of these clinics and got scripts for diet pills from all of them. And she had them analysed afterwards and sex hormones, amphetamines, barbiturates, diuretics, all this stuff. And the, you, you're never told. So she kind of blew the lid off this practice. Uh, there had also been some fairly high profile deaths of, you know, quite thin young women being uh, prescribed these pills and actually dying. So all of those factors, we start to see that amphetamines gets a really bad rap. It becomes a controlled substance and we stop seeing it sort of being blatantly prescribed for weight loss. So can we get down to the nuts and bolts? What is a Zempic and how does it actually work? And what's different to what's come before with it? So the active ingredient in Ozempic is semaglutide. And it is mimicking a naturally occurring hormone called GLP-1. And that hormone is responsible for sending signals that you're full. It also uh, massively slows down the digestion, so helping you feel fuller for longer. People talk about, you know, that little voice which is pushing you for food just, just switches off. You just don't, it's just not there anymore. In terms of the health impacts, a lot of previous diet drugs have been a version of let's speed up the metabolism. And what's wrong with that is it also speeds up other systems in your body, increased heart, heart rate, blood pressure, all that kind of stuff. So we're working on a completely different idea here. And I suppose what's really encouraging about these weight loss drugs is they have been given to diabetics for really quite a long time and we're not seeing any cardiovascular problems or the other things that have keep popping up around previous diet drugs. So it is looking very safe. So, I mean, when you say it like that, it sounds really good. I know, right? It sounds too good to be true, honestly. Mm. What are some of the negative effects? Yeah, so one of the themes you get with any diet medication is stop taking it and you're probably going to put the weight back on. And that's the case with Ozempic. 
So an obesity doctor I spoke to said, look, what I see as a problem is if you get people taking it for short-term periods, they lose a lot of weight, what they're losing is lean muscle mass. Mm. And if you're losing this lean muscle mass over 50, generally you just don't put it back on. The weight you put back on is fat. So his concern was that yeah, over time, you're going to get people that start to become quite frail and that to take these medications correctly, you need to be doing uh, muscle training at the same time and all that kind of stuff. But one of the issues is people lose weight and they feel good and they don't have to do anything. So are you going to do the exercise as well? Some people might, but maybe you won't. It's this thing of equating looks with health. Well, we actually know, I'm a health reporter as well as uh, the presenter of QuickSmart, in that there's so much more to health and healthy habits are so much more important to your sort of health outcomes than the size or shape of your body in in almost every instance. Yeah, it's important to remember that being thin or big doesn't necessarily mean healthy or not healthy. Conversely, there are people who are in bigger bodies, it is causing health problems for them, and obesity experts that I've spoken to over the years say there is a place for people who need interventions, Mm. but perversely, they're often the people who are also least likely to be able to access the sorts of interventions they need. Is that Mm. the case with this class of drugs too? Yeah, absolutely. And particularly at the moment when we're still in the sort of development build-up phase of these drugs, they're really expensive to bring to market. And we're already seeing, you know, if you look at what's happened in the States, a lot of people that are using these drugs don't medically need them. And we've seen this with diet drugs throughout history. And the market potential is much, much bigger than those people that would, you know, be diagnosed and medically need them. And balancing those two needs is is really challenging. So... What does a solution look like here? It's really challenging because essentially the the PBS money we had allocated to a Zempic was a certain amount and we have already like blown that out of the water. Our expectations of who was going to need this drug and how it was going to be subsidised have not turned out that way. So, you know, in Australia there are still a lot of supply issues so it's very hard to get these drugs. You know, when that all pans out and we start getting all of these drugs much more widely available. I mean, I'm really not sure. We haven't seen a drug like this for a really, really long time. You know, it's easy to see these nasty stories in the history of diet drugs where GPs are, you know, loosely writing scripts or whatever. And a couple of doctors reminded me, and this is so true, you know, overwhelmingly doctors are really responsible. And so we can have hope that these drugs aren't just going to get passed out like candy. But in terms of the long-term impact in society, I mean, one particular quote from uh, someone I spoke to had done a feature on this. He said, what does the dinner party look like in the age of Ozempic? And he's sort of referring to Hollywood celebrities and people that are taking these drugs. But like, if a whole lot of people just stop being passionate about food, you know what I mean? Oh, that's like, depressing. It is. It is actually depressing. I, I just don't know. It's going to be so interesting to see how this rolls out over the next couple of years. Jen, thanks so much for talking to me. Oh, my pleasure, Tegan. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.